Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount. This is Rob Santiago. You're about to listen to a sermon on our enemy strategy. And we'll be taking a look at some things that Job and Daniel did to overcome the strategy of the enemy. I hope you enjoy this message and you're blessed. Thanks. Amen, church. Well, they called me up out of the bullpen tonight, so you have me, okay? So... I ask that you guys refrain from laughing, throwing insults, and whatever. I'm just kidding. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Jesus, that you provided an opportunity where we can worship you, think about your character, learn about your scriptures, and just learn more about you and how you can affect our lives. Lord, I pray over this sermon that it would touch people, that your Holy Spirit would enter their hearts, and that they would receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I have a joke, but I'm not going to tell it because my wife told me it's not a good one, okay? <laughs> but, I don't know, you guys are already laughing, so I kind of want to tell it. But you ever get, you ever get, um, you ever try to get rid of something that you don't like and it comes back? Whether it's like a cough, like a nagging cough, right? Or some kind of sickness that you're trying to fight and it just comes back. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was, uh, la- this happened last year, uh, and um, I had this dog that kept um, pooping on my lawn, okay? And it was frustrating because my lawn started to get these yellow blotches throughout, throughout the lawn, and it's just frustrating, you know? I'm like, well, this guy just, he just took over my place, you know? It's like, he took over everything, and I would get frustrated. I would look at my cameras. I have some cameras. And I would see him do this, and it's just, it was, and I'm like, what the heck? Why isn't the owner doing anything about it? And it was consistent. Literally, it was just him. The owner wasn't even around, so he would just have free reign to just do whatever he wanted on my lawn. So I got upset, naturally, right? Because he's marking his spot in my territory. <laughs> That's my lawn, right? And so I, I started to get upset, and I told my wife, I let it go for a long time. It's, I'm, I'm really ashamed about it. I let it go for like six months. And then I remember I'd come home from work, and I'd just look at yellow blotches all over my lawn. And I just told myself, well, are you going to do anything about it? You know, maybe you should talk to them. Well, no, I wouldn't, actually. I, I, I was really a passive-aggressive, and so every time I would see something on the lawn, like he would leave a gift for me, I started to shovel it and shovel it back to the neighbor's lawn. I know, right? Like, come on, Pastor. <laughs> hey, man, take the plank out of your own eye, okay? <laughs> so I would throw it back, and it just wasn't working, right? Everything I did wasn't working, so I got online. And I'm like, how can I defeat this? So I found this, this powder. It's like a dried powder. And I came home with it one day, and my wife's like, what's that? I said, it's pig's blood. And she goes, it's pig's blood? That's gross. And I opened it up, and it just smelled. Right? I go, well, if I sprinkle this on the lawn, he's not going to want it. It's, it's like pig's blood and, and cumin and some other spices. So when he's, he's sniffing around, he just, it repels him. So I'm like, this is it. This is going to work, right? So I put it on there, and I kid you not, for like two weeks, that guy did not come around my lawn. I put a nice barrier around the lawn, right? I edged it up. It was perfect, right? Okay, he's not going to do his thing on my lawn anymore. And then one day, he left me a big old present after work, man. And I was like, oh, my gosh. How am I going to defeat this? I have, I'm out of, I'm completely out of, out of ideas now. And then I'm like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you talk to the owner? 
And I'm like, well, I'm kind of upset about this. It wouldn't be a smart idea. You know, I don't know if I can refrain myself if they snap back at me or something. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to deal with it, you know. And, and it, long story short, he kept coming back and he destroyed my lawn. Even to this day, it's a little messed up. Um, but he's not around anymore. He left. So I don't know what happened to him. I don't know, but he's gone. But again, when I think about this, and tonight what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the enemy strategy. And you're probably wondering why am I telling this story is because the enemy acts just like that. Is that he'll keep coming back, he'll keep coming back, he'll keep coming back. And it's a relentless barrage that he puts on you till you get upset. And it's not just your enemy. I'm not here to tell you about an enemy that you have. I'm telling you about a common enemy that we have. Your enemy is not a political party. It's not a person that you envy. It's not a family member or a friend. It's not somebody in church that doesn't like you, okay? It's not any of those things. As a matter of fact, the enemy is a common enemy. And that common enemy will use his strategy and put himself in situations to where it looks like it's an individual that is bothering you, but in reality, the enemy is attacking you. And I've, I've gone through this in my own personal life where I'm thinking, well, this guy, man, he's getting on my nerves. Or she's getting on my nerves. And then you start to, you, start to, you know, materialize things and you, th- and you start to think, this person's out to get me. He doesn't like me. She doesn't like me. She, she just wants to see me fail. He just wants to see me fail. And you, you have to realize that it's probably none of those things at all. It's actually the, you're allowing the enemy to kind of take over and disguise himself as something that's not really happening. It's a mirage that begins to take place in your life, and you're actually giving credit to the enemy. And, and you're just giving him permission. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul right, reminds us of this. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, since you accepted Christ, and you're here on a Wednesday night, right? So most of you are believers and follow Christ. Since you've done that, you have to understand that there is a spiritual realm and not just a physical realm, amen? But you also have to realize, and and you can't forget that there's there's a strategy that the enemy has for your life. Just because I say, oh, I want to follow God's plan. And sometimes you forget, well, you want to avoid Satan's plan too. Because if God has a plan, Satan has a plan as well. And so when you can identify what that plan is, then you'll be ready for it. Amen? That way you don't get blindsided or attacked in any way, but rather you are, you're working against those principalities, right? You're working against those, it, those, those daggers that the enemy's trying to throw at you. See, one thing that I, I, I learned very early on in my Christianity is the enemy is like a puppet. He's going to try to control people. He's going to hide behind people, and he's actually orchestrating everything. And then he knows how to get you into a, a certain emotion to distract you from the things of God. Your emotions are key to your spiritual life. Because if, you're too, if, if your emotions aren't in tune to the character of God then you're going, to have, you're going to struggle to find God. I, I talk to brothers and sisters that say, I just don't feel it anymore. I say, well, what kind of emotion are you having in church? Are you walking in angry? Are you walking in because, you know, you just have to be here? 
You know, I'll say this. I'll walk into a DMV. I don't want to be there, but I still need to get something out of it. So if you're here, I, I encourage you, get something out of it. If you're forced to be here, get something out of it. Amen? The enemy's going to create strife, division amongst believers, right? He'll create distraction, either a circumstance or an obsession that you get, whether it's personal goals or material things. I've been a victim of personal goals. I'm like, oh, I got to do this for my own life. I got to get my career in order, you know, like I'm career oriented. I, you know, I, I got to be successful. Then you start to realize, well, then define success. You know, because love, joy, and peace is what Christ has to offer. That's pretty successful to me. And money can't buy those things, amen? But I want you to, I want you to realize that there is emotion behind everything that you do. And your emotion can, it can dictate how you react in the spiritual realm. Your emotion has such a key to your spiritual walk. Because if you walk in here in a bad mood, then chances are you're probably going to leave in a bad mood. If you walk in here with a mood that's expecting, then you'll probably walk out of here a different person feeling good about tomorrow. It is literally a choice that you have to make. So in other words, if you walk in here emotionally messed up, and you expect God to, you know, tear down those walls of emotion, it may not happen. You need to do something yourself, amen? And what I want to really specifically dive in on is how do you beat this strategy? And I'm here to tell you, and we're going to look at just a few, I have a bunch of scripture today, so I may not go through all of it. So just bear with me. But I want to look at the life of Job. If you can turn your Bibles there to Job chapter 1, verse 4 to 22, we're going to read. Job was an interesting person. He was a wealthy man, okay? He was wealthy. He had everything that you could possibly dream of. I and mean, the Bible says, if you look at that chapter, it goes on early on to talk about his wealth and what he has. But in verse 4, I'm going to read. It says, Job's sons would take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting were over, Job would send for his children to purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Now let's stop there. Job's regular practice. Sometimes you got to practice. You know, we have prayer coming up early in the mornings. That's a good time to practice. Right? When you have prayer on Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings, it's a good time to practice. When there's worship going on here and everybody's getting excited and you're just like, mm, I don't know, tomorrow's a busy day. My back hurts. My wife yelled at me. My kids don't love me. If you're just emotionally messed up to where you're not allowing God to even move, then you don't expect him to operate in your life any further than you'll allow him to. See, it's important you understand that when, when you come into a place of worship, you worship. It is a place, just like Job said, he began to burn offerings, okay? Because he understood. He understood a couple things. Number one, he understood he had wealth. But number two, that he still feared God. He still shunned evil. And he still was a person of intercession. In other words, his children. 
He would put his children and pray for them with burnt offerings every morning. He practiced this because he understood that there was a strategy that the enemy had for his life. Let's continue to read. In, ver in verse 6, it says, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now this is a conversation between the Lord and Satan, so it's pretty interesting, okay? Where have you come from, the Lord you know, said the Lord to Satan. And look at Satan's response. He says, from roaming through the earth, he replied, and walking back and forth in it. Think about that, church. Walking back and forth in it. Back and forth. You ever walk back and forth from, with something? Like you're walking, you, you know, you're just, you're looking at something and you're doing this? You ever do that? Like you're locked in, right? Like you, you're locked in. See, the enemy wants to stay locked in. He'll walk back and forth in it, looking for an opportunity to distract you, to create division, to take you away from the things of God. Now let's continue reading verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one in earth like him, a man who is blameless and upright, who fears God and shuns evil. Verse 9, Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not placed a hedge on every side around him and his household and all that he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So it's Satan challenging the Lord saying, you've blessed this man. You've given him everything you could possibly give him. That's why he's serving you. So you know what, Lord? Take that away from him, and now let's see how he acts. Now look what Satan does. He says in verse 13, One day while Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came and reported to Job. While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and alone I have escaped to tell you. So now Job's getting attacked. In other words, his messengers, his, his protectors, his workers are now being attacked. In verse 16, it continues. He says, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and reported, the fire of God fell from heaven. It burned and consumed the sheep and the servants, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So now he's losing his cattle, his wealth. And in verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I have alone escaped to tell you. It doesn't stop. This is probably the worst part of it. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. He lost his children. Somebody that he considered every day to pray, to offer up burnt offerings, they are now gone. But this is what Job does in verse 20. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he worshiped. He says, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's powerful when you can get, when scripture makes you clap, right? Because you're understanding this man's faith. 
You could lose everything. Your whole world can be tearing down around you. Your environment is affected, and it's just trying to tear you down. And this is because of the enemy. This is because Satan wanted to prove a point to the Lord. Job never, he never wavers in his faith. So many times we look to find answers elsewhere when God is waiting for you to spend time with him. You know, you know it, it's just amazing. I know when I've gone through tough times, I've picked up the phone, right? Anyone done that? I hope you all do that. Pick up the phone, right? But I'll tell myself, hey, before you pick up that phone, did you pray? Before you pick up that phone and you listen to that person's advice, did you pray? Don't pray afterwards. Pray first. Pray first, and then you pick up that phone. And you tell that person on the other line to give you some encouragement, amen? They hate, the enemy hates when you're doing good, church. Tell your neighbor, hey, the enemy hates when you're doing good. If you're getting attacked, praise God. That was an early concept I learned. Hey, you're getting attacked, brother? Yeah. Hey, praise God. Well, what do you mean? This is awful. I want to get attacked. You know what? I didn't have this story. I'm going to tell you this story, okay? I didn't have this written down, so bear with me. How much time do I have? Let me tell you this story. I had a blue truck, okay? It's my dad's truck, and I had to fix the transmission on it. He said, you fix it, you can have it. So I took it. I had two cars. I was single, but I had two cars. I thought it was cool. So I had this blue truck, and um, I, I, I had to preach somewhere. I just started preaching. I just really given my life to the Lord, and, and I got invited to preach somewhere, and I remember this truck, man. I would drive it everywhere because it was just easy on gas. It was, a, it was a Ford Ranger. It was like 1989, so it's a four-cylinder. It's a tiny truck, and, you know, they don't make tiny trucks anymore, but I love this truck, and so I remember one time I'm going to preach, and I, I, I parked. It was in Long Beach. I parked at this gas station, and the pump wasn't working. Like, it, wasn't, it just wasn't working. So I'm like, you know what, let me go inside. So I went inside. I come back out. My, my truck had backed all the way, and it hit somebody else. And this guy starts cussing at me. Is this your truck? <laughs> he was livid. And I got to preach in like 30 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, it's my truck. He goes, you're an idiot. You're... And he's just laying into me, right? And I said, dude, here's my insurance. Give me a call later. I got to go preach. He's like, you got to go preach. You ain't going nowhere. I'm calling the cops. I go, hey, man, listen. Obviously, my e-brake gave out, okay? I did put my e-brake on. It gave out. I don't, this is just an unfortunate accident. I don't think this needs to happen. Here's my phone number. Here's my address. Here's the church I'm going to. Right? And I'm trying to get out of the situation. And luckily, I was able to calm the guy down. And, uh, and he, you know, he let me go. But I was looking at that like, man, the enemy just does not want me to preach today. <laughs> I'm like, this truck, really? Like, the e-brake gave out. What are the odds of that? Right? But I'm like, hey, praise God, I'm getting attacked. Praise God, I'm going through a trial. Praise God, it means I'm doing something right. Right? And sometimes... 
And this is when I was, you know, I was going through college. I was like, man, I'm not doing good in this class, but hey, at least I'm preaching. God's using me in some way. At least there's some success in my life. Hey, I know, I realize, you know what, God? Yeah, maybe my life isn't exactly what I expected it to be, but I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here with me because my life without you would just be me chasing money and success and me being distracted by the enemy with things that really don't matter, having conversations with people that are just not lifted at all. And it, it would just be just a mundane lifestyle that everyone else lives. But because I know you, I live a different lifestyle and you've changed me. And now I could go and tell the success that I've had because you've given me the love, the joy, and the peace that your word says. Amen. Thank God for a trial. Now I get to tell you about it. Right? That means the enemy sees purpose in your life. And if you can't withstand the circumstance or a trial with God at the center of your mind, then, you know, if you could do that, keep him at the center, then you will see victory and celebration later on. In everything, you just have to wait and be patient. See, church, one thing, I'm going to repeat it a few more times, but you have the ability, the capacity to change not only a circumstance, but the environment around you. You literally have that ability to change and influence the environment because you're different. In Daniel chapter 6, turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. I love this story. And I just kind of want, I know it's like, well, you know, I learned this in children's church and whatnot, but it's an oldie but goodie. That means we don't leave it alone. That means we revisit it every now and then. And I just recently revisited this in my connect group. And man, I was like, man, this is, this is a beautiful story. I realized this is a beautiful story. So I'm going to highlight some things out of here. But Daniel's another figure that we can grasp, get something out of when, in his reaction when the enemy begins to attack him. Now it says this, Daniel, was a dis Daniel distinguishes, distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps. So the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The satraps were, were actually princes. Other princes, Daniel's peers. But King Darius says, I want to make him the king over everything. So the other princes begin, became envious of him. Okay, In verse 4 it says, Thus the administrators and the satraps sought a charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge corruption because he was trustworthy. And no negligence or corruption was found in him. Finally, these men said, we will never find any charge against Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators into traps went together to the king and said, O King Darius, may you live forever. All the royal administrators, prefects, traps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce a decree that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, king, will be thrown into the den of lions. Therefore, O king, establish this decree and sign the document so that it cannot be changed in accordance with the law of the Medes, Persians, which cannot be repealed. So let me, let me summarize this for you. The people that became envious of him said, hey, king, sign this because Daniel likes to pray. Daniel likes to pray. So let's, let's sign a, a decree saying he can no longer pray. So the king signs it not realizing, not understanding the capacity of what he just did. Verse 9, it says, Therefore King Darius signed the written decree. Now when Daniel learned that the document had signed, this is what Daniel did. 
This is what I want you to get. He went into his house where the windows of his upper room opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he, he had done before. There is a habit that takes place. The Bible tells us he has done this before. Picture this. Daniel had a room. It was upstairs. It was in front of a window that was opened to see Jerusalem. He goes up there to pray three times a day, even though he knew the decree was passed and his life could be in danger. He still goes up and he prays. In other words, he didn't break his routine. He didn't break his routine. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to allow a law or decree or anything of such take me away from what God wants me to do in this lifetime. I'm going to be sold out and I'm going to do everything that I've done as long as I have God in my life. As you guys know the story, it's an amazing story. Let's jump down to verse 21. So Daniel gets caught. Why? Because they probably look through the window, they see him praying. They go and they tell him, Daniel's praying again. <laughs> Don't ever catch yourself sounding like that, okay? You're probably doing something wrong. Hey, pastor, so-and-so is... Careful with that. That's what's happening here. Hey, uh, king, Daniel's doing his prayer again. Remember you signed that decree that we brought to you? Remember... He shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be doing that. Because they're so righteous, right? So in Daniel chapter 6, verse 21, then Daniel replied, O king, may you live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, for I was found innocent in his sight and have done no wrong against you, O king. So Daniel, he's perfect after being in the lion's den. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wounds whatsoever were found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the command of the king, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions, they and their children and wives. And before they had reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I know it's a scary thought, but this is the big part. Then King Darius wrote to the people of every nation and language throughout the land, May your prosperity abound. I hereby decree that in every part of my kingdom, men are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And then it goes on, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He delivers and rescues. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel changed his environment. Daniel didn't allow a decree to take him away from what God wants to do in that region. See, church, you and I serve a God that goes beyond these walls. It goes beyond your home. It goes beyond your family. It goes beyond this city. It goes across the world. And if we could get some kind of vision and understanding of what God wants us to do in our own lives, then we know that we can 
penetrate these walls, go outside our home, preach the gospel, and begin to move and not worry about any decree, any law, any country that doesn't want you there. God will make a way and an opportunity to show his love, his grace, his prosperity in your life if you stay the course. Amen? It's important that you take this, this scripture, and realize that you have the ability and capacity to change your circumstance and the environment around you because you have Christ in your life. Another story I'm going to tell you. I, uh, when I was little, my grandmother used to pray for me when she found out I wouldn't go to school. Now, mind you, I was playing hooky a lot of the time. Anyone do that? Just pretend you were sick so you didn't go to school? I used to do that all the time because I was too little and I would get bullied and stuff. Don't feel bad for me. I got him back. <laughs> so my, my, uh, my, grandma, my grandma would find out, you didn't go to school today. So she, you know, she, would, call, she would call the house phone. And back then, it, you know, there's no wireless handset. I know I'm very old now. But you had to pick up the phone and you're stuck in one area. And then the phone was in the kitchen. So I would do this, like, my grandma would be like, hey, mijo, what's wrong with you? I would be like, uh, yeah, I have a sore throat. And she'd be like, okay, let me pray. I said, no, nah, it's okay, I'm okay now. <laughs> so no, let me pray. I said, no, nah, because it was so awkward for me. So I'd be standing there like this. And she'd be praying for me, and I'm like, She would pray for like five minutes. And I would just like roll my eyes, right? Like, oh my God, dude. I wasn't a believer, obviously. I was too young. It's not an excuse, okay? But I just didn't understand, you know? And so she would pray for me, and I'm like, all right, yeah. She's like, do you feel better? I'd say, yes, I feel much better, hoping that she would stop praying for me over the phone. And so, fast forward to today, I get a call, it was like a few years ago, like maybe three years ago, a coworker of mine was struggling with depression and he lived in the Philippines. And I, he tells me, you know, Rob, I'm just going through a hard time and uh, I, I sometimes I feel like I, I shouldn't be on this earth anymore. And I remember, I'm like, you know what, man? Let me pray for you. Yeah, he's in the Philippines, you know, but let me, let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah. I'm going to pray for you over the phone. So I had never done this before. But I'm like, I pray over the phone, so, you know, close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Want to make sure he's doing it right. Making sure the setting's correct. So I said, um, I just said a prayer for him. And I asked him, hey, did you feel better? He goes, I feel way better. And I'm like, wow. See, when Satan attacks you, you have to show him how much you love Jesus. When you feel, when you feel like you think it's the strategy of the enemy, because I'm not one to over-spiritualize things. That's just not what I do. But sometimes I think like, you know, is this, is this the enemy trying to get me? Even if you just think that. Just start praying. Just start talking about Jesus. 
Think about his throne, his goodness in Revelation chapter 2. Think about the sea of jasper that's in front of his throne. Think about how much he's rescued you. And you just start thinking about Jesus in your life. And then you start to, you know, if it's people coming up to you for prayer, you put a Jesus move on them. And say, lift your hands up. We're going to pray to Jesus right now. The enemy loves to accuse people. And he'll do that. Because you know what an accusation does? It doesn't make it truth, but it makes you think lowly of yourself. You ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Yeah, you just start playing. It starts messing with you. Like, did I, I guess I'm capable of doing that. You know, and you just start messing with you. Like, I didn't do that. Like, and it just messes with you. Like a false accusation. That's what the enemy does. In Zechariah chapter 3, turn your Bibles there. We're going to put it up on the screen. But in Zechariah chapter 3, we see this very thing of where Satan is trying to accuse this of uh, Joshua, okay? And it says this in, in uh, Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the, the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So there's Joshua and then Satan standing at his right hand, okay? And then it said, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebukes you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is not this man a firebrand snatched from the fire? Verse 3, now Joshua was dressed in filthy garments as he stood before the angel. So the angel said to, to those standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have rem removed your iniquity and I will clothe you with splendid robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head, and they clothed him as the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord of hosts says. If you walk in my ways and keep my instructions, then you will, be, you will govern my house and will also have charge of my courts and will give you a place among these standing here. When the enemy's trying to accuse you of something, tear you down, put you in a path of temptation, you need to realize that he's trying to take you down, take you away from the Lord. So your reaction should be the complete opposite. Lord, where are you? Jesus, I need you. It shouldn't be, oh, let me contemplate this temptation. Let me contemplate, let me entertain this for just a second. No, you don't do that. Because when you start to entertain temptation and you give into it, then it happens again. And then you feel the conviction, the guilt. And then it happens again. Because you didn't get it right the first time, you may not get it right the second, the third, the fourth, or even the 20th time. And next thing you know, all your emotions are jacked up because you didn't allow, you didn't put a Jesus move where it needed to be moved. You didn't say, God, I need you. Or you didn't say, God, Lord, please help me. Relieve me of this temptation. And then call a friend. Somebody that's going to hold you accountable. Somebody that loves you. Somebody that's not going to rebuke you or tell you you're doing wrong. Somebody that's going to encourage you at that very moment. Walk away. Walk away from that. I love what Jesus does. He rebukes Satan instantly. He doesn't even hesitate. And then he takes over the trial. And then he starts making decisions. He tells the angels, take his filthy clothes off. Put this robe on him. Remind you of the prodigal son. Right? The prodigal son. Where the son goes and spends everything he has. 
And his father's sad. He's, the Bible says the father's really upset. He's sad. His son finds himself just in a, I think it said in a pig's trough, looking for food, meaning he hit rock bottom. And then he begins to come back, and his father sees him from a distance from the farm. He sees him from the distance, and he tells his servant, Go get my robe, my ring, my sandals. Put it on my son. We're going to celebrate because he was lost and now he is found. And he's here. We're going to have a feast and we're going to celebrate. Jesus is the same way in your life. When you're feeling the strife, the distraction, and the emotion that the enemy's trying to take you on, put a Jesus move on it. Because when you ignore the strategy of the enemy and you implement your faith, you have the ability to change your environment. If I can get the worship team up here. I want to read you one other scripture. I know I read a bunch of scripture today. I hope you guys don't mind that. The Bible has a bunch of power in it. And if you use it, a lot of lives get touched. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping you guys are feeling that. But in Luke chapter 22, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is one of my, this is Jesus just kind of teaching everybody a lesson here. Jesus says, or it says this in, in verse, Luke 22 verse 39. He says, he came out and proceeded as he was accustomed to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. That was the Lord's instruction. Now let's continue to read. Verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and Jesus began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and, be, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping in sorrow. And said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Church, you got to get up and pray. You got to get up and pray all the time. I just told you, I just read several stories where we see this prayer. Job, as he begins to lift a burnt offering to his children, then his children pass away, but he worships God. Then we see Daniel, where, which was interesting. If you didn't catch it, he had the window open and he looked at, out into Jerusalem. Do you know what he was doing? He was doing intercessory prayer for Jerusalem. And what ended up happening there is not only did he do that prayer, he got caught, he followed the decree, he went into the lion's den, and it affected the king. And the king says, the God of Daniel is real, and everybody in this country is going to serve the God of Daniel. All because of intercessory prayer. Then Jesus, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, is a depiction of Christ standing on, or just being on the cross, doing an intercessory prayer. He tells the disciples, pray. Pray against the temptation that's before you. Pray. And then he finds the disciples sleeping. And what does he say? Get up. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. The strategy of the enemy is real. And you have the ability and the capacity to change not only your circumstance, but everyone's circumstance. And everybody's environment. Because that's what Christ does. If you would just bow your heads with me. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, 
follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.